They're they're two different Ed Greens. Yeah. How do you know they're different? Uh, well, first off, one spells it with an extra E, but I also checked both their profiles in Discogs. Like and three E's? So, w- G-R-E-E-N-E. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, that, I Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, casual optimist. I am your co-host, Jeremy Ruggles, compression artifact wrangler. And I am your co-host, Peter Cook, rural cemetery researcher. Ooh. Well, that's us. New format, new season. Yeah, a fresh new way to doing things. It's a little bit different, but a little bit the same, you know? Comfortable yet different. Yeah, here we are. Are you comfortable, Sean? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm as comfortable as I can get right now. Got this coconut bubbly in front of me. I'm feeling good about that. Sean's in a different city now. Yeah, how did your move go, Sean? Tell our listeners how your move to Philadelphia went. Yeah, I've been an official Philly resident for a little over two weeks now, and I'm loving it out here. I got to say, the food is awesome. The records are awesome. The uh, flea markets are crazy out here. I've been buying so many records. Yeah, I hear there's thieves at the flea markets. There was one thief the other day. Yeah? me. It was you. I stole some records from a dealer, but in my defense, to be fair, that person was a racist. That's what we're going with now, huh? That's you can that's just all steal from Were you encouraged by another dealer to do it? I was encouraged by the dealer next to this person. I literally went up to the dealer next to him and was like, hey man, where'd that guy go? I want to pay him for his records. And he's like, I don't know. He's always walking off. I was like, well, I'd really like to not steal these. And he was like, just steal them. That guy's an asshole. <laughs> I'm like, all right, fair enough. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That, that's a little different picture. That feels like you're in the in the right there, I guess. You know, I didn't feel bad about it. I'm just going to put that out there. How's the electricity in Philly? (laughs) I've spent the last five hours getting electrified, as I was told earlier. It's not electrocuted. It's electrified because I'm currently not dead from it. I don't know. The electricity down in this basement is weird, but I I think we got it working right now. Fingers crossed. We're going to get through a whole episode. We hear a humming coming through the line, and then you're not there anymore. We will draw our own conclusions and wrap it up. You know, and carry on without you. Carry on, my wayward sons. It's been a good ride. We got a full season in. I'm proud of it. Well, you guys, if if you're ready, before we uh, get into season two here and the record that we came to talk about today and the exciting artists, I want to talk about our season one wrap up. The results from our album rankings or ratings that we did at the very end. I, I tallied everything up. Did either of you do that as well? Nope. Okay. <laughs> no, just you. Peter's a dork if you haven't figured out audience. But he's our dork and we love him. Yeah, well, we'll see when the results come in who's the dork. Oh. <laughs> so 
Coming in for so there's there's four categories here. There's the three co-hosts and how many picks of theirs made the top five of each list, plus the guests as well. And the guests are just in one category as guests. Um, and how many of those we ranked in our top five. Coming in fourth place with two album picks is Sean. But Sean. Ooh. Sean, you would well, you would have had a third, but there's a technicality that I'll get to at the end here. You would have tied with the, okay. the person in third, Jeremy, who had three album picks. Oh, that's me. Yeah, that's that's Jeremy. I came to terms a long time ago with the fact that I just don't have the most popular taste. It's a it's a long, lonely road for this. But you guy. seem okay with it. You seem. I came to terms you know, I... with the fact that I'm always a little better than Sean. <laughs> <laughs> but not as good as Peter. Well, so that's who's second. That's who came in second is Peter with four picks, two of which were Tammy Wynette. You, you both liked that one. It's a good record. But our guests beat all of us. We had our, our guests got six in the uh, on each of our lists. So there's like twelve of them. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fair. Yeah, there were sixteen. I think there were sixteen guests total. So yeah, they got six. And so, Sean, that's where it comes in is one of those, when we were doing the list, I thought of you as being the earth, wind, and fire all in all. But technically, I would say that went to Trevor Coleman. Yeah, I mean, we co-hosted it. I was like, Trevor, let's do an earth, wind, and fire record. And he was like, I want to do all in all. I was like, all right, let's do that. So, yeah, so I should you get, get 50% you get, you get of the credit for that. Now. Sean. And the guests are 5.5. Okay. I'm coming on up. So, Jeez. so since we said we were, you know, going to tally things up, I went and did that. And so, thanks to Trevor for bringing us all in all. It did convince me, at least, that Earth, Wind, and Fire are the greatest band of all time. Jeremy's only unconvinced because he didn't do his promised research, though. I just want to remind. Yeah, because I was that. too busy carrying all everything you own into a truck, driving it across the country, and then carrying it out of the truck into your house. I didn't know there was a problem. I've been doing that, that for actually... months. <laughs> Listen, I fed you a couple times, bud. You I didn't know. pay for I gas. It seems it. like a good deal on my I know, end. I appreciate it. I'm sorry. I got a little worked up. <laughs> All right. All I'm right. competitive. I, mean, I got worked up about it too. Did you guys know that 20,000 records is too heavy? Yes. <laughs> She's Fun so fact. heavy. Wait, so it's season two instead of season one. Yeah, we did. We did right. have, uh, there was another oversight. Uh, there was an oversight, I should say, aside from Trevor oversight with uh, Trevor and that album pick. There was also an oversight in that we did not thank all the patrons that we acquired in season one. Huge oversight. And I'd like to name them by their given names right now as a way of saying thanks. Our patrons are Nathaniel, Ted, Jim, Russell, Mark, and Ellen. And we want to let them know. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's cool that we have a small patron following. And we're going to be recording new Patreon exclusive episodes soon. But we are going to try to give a little push at the top of season two here to build our patron following a little bit more because we do have some really cool content. We're just do, we'll do a bake down, uh, I'm sorry, a breakdown of some of the regular features that come with the perks that come with being a patron. For a dollar a month, you get early access to our episodes. We send them a few days in advance, so you get this 
amazing, wonderful content just a few days before the rest of the world is privy to it. For $5 a month, not only do you get that early access, you also get bonus episodes, our premium content. Right, fellas? Premium mm. content. It's so good. You guys have no idea how good it really is. You got to find out. Let those me tell people you. on our list know how good mm-hmm. it is, but if you're they premium, know. If that isn't your Pre- name. Premium listeners for premium contents. So that's uh, that's for five dollars a month, and then we have this really extra special and somewhat limited twenty dollar a month tier where it's the vinyl subscription, and where we send every month we send a record of our choosing your way with a handwritten note, right? Sean, you usually take that aspect on. I'm just going to say one of the notes was not handwritten. It was right before I moved. I was stressing. I just needed to get it over with and be it done, have it be done. But every other one's been handwritten. And I, I do plan on handwriting all of them. You know, if we get like 20 people a month, that's a lot of handwritten notes. We'll, we'll see how I feel then. But if you're one of the early subscribers of this, at the very least, it will be handwritten. I promise. Yeah. Do you slip a 45 in with that too? Yeah, it's always at least one LP and one 45. Sometimes some extra records if I'm feeling generous. And I sign those handwritten notes, Sean, Jeremy, and Peter, but it's it's just me. Oh, wow. We're, I'm the one. we're being very candid and transparent. Yeah, we're going gonna to peel back the curtain <laughs> a little bit. Well, especially now that Sean's living in Philadelphia. Hey, we all got our yeah. loads to lift around here. This is Sean's load to lift. Exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is one of them, yeah. And I don't mind doing that. I'm out digging records probably more than you other two boys, although... I know, Jeremy, you see your fair share of uh, antique stores in the area. Oh, yeah. But, you know, as it's been mentioned on season one a few times, I am a full-time record seller. So I come across a lot of records, and it's pretty pretty easy to set aside some cool dollar bin. I'd buy that for a dollar eligible records and mail those out to people once a month. Can I just, pretty dang cool. I just want to throw out, like, a, a grouchy NPR-esque pitch here is that okay is that against the rules okay no i just want season two there are, be no grouchy rules. Be- there are no be rules grouchy before we <laughs> announce our extra special patron idea <laughs> well i just want the listeners to know like we're about to pay our bill for hosting and then our account's going to be back to zero so it's not like we're making we're not chapo trap house we're not making a living off this sir uh, yeah. <laughs> comedy bang bang or whatever you know we're not just lining our pockets with your money we're taking this money to help expand the podcast more we're spending it on like marketing to get it out there and to pay our hosting bill so that you guys can listen to it so i just wanted that to be clear so that people i don't know i'm like suspicious nowadays of some podcasts out there understandable i mean you're probably wondering where I got this new BMW to go around researching <laughs> rural cemeteries in. I know that's just because of that sick cemetery money, though. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. The rural cemetery game <laughs> is baller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's a good point, Jeremy. And that's going to lead into what we're talking about next. To kick off season two, we're having a fundraiser. And we're also giving our patrons a special free limited edition, I'd buy that for a dollar, swag dealio. And if you're not already a patron, you have until October 31st 
of 2020, for those of you listening far in the future, you can't get in on this in on this deal. So join our patron to our Patreon, that is, to receive season two kickoff perks. And patrons at the one dollar tier get an I'd buy that for a dollar season two sticker designed by artist Ellen Vandermeid, who happens to be one of our patrons as well as my wife, and has designed some really sick designs for all of this merch that we're offering now. And the patrons at the $5 tier will receive an I'd buy that for a dollar season two button as well as the sticker. And the patrons who go for that $20 tier, the vinyl subscription, they're going to get an I'd buy that for a dollar season two t-shirt button and sticker. So our existing patrons are going to receive all of those. And anyone who signs up before October 31st will also be getting those. You can find how to sign up in the link in our show notes has a link to our, our Patreon, so you can get signed up there if you're not already and you're interested. So patrons, expect an email from us at the beginning of November requesting your shipping address. But if you're not ready to become a monthly benefactor of I Buy That For A Dollar, you can still support this podcast and receive these sweet gifts. For the month of October only, stickers for the a $3 donation you can get uh, the sick uh, record drip sticker. The buttons are our sparkle record design, and those are $6 for non-patrons. Those just $6 donation for non-patrons. And t-shirts, there's two different designs of the t-shirts, and there's a couple different uh, styles of fit as well. And those are $40, and it's free shipping for all US purchases. So if you're in the United States, it's free shipping for all of this. And so in order to purchase, you just email ibuythatpodcast at gmail.com using the subject line, I buy that fundraiser. Once again, that's I'd buy that fundraiser in the subject line. You'll let us know which items you'd like, the quantity, and for t-shirts, we'll need your size, include your shipping address, and we will respond with your total and our PayPal so you can pay us. Once paid, you're all set up to receive your items in November. They'll be shipping out in November. I'm pretty excited about this, guys. I don't know if you are. Yeah, I just wanted to also jump in and say, I know some of the listeners out there, when they heard that pitch, they're like, oh, it's it's Peter's wife that made the design. Okay, so like, it's probably just kind of average. I just want to say, it's not average. These are really, really good designs. Like, if we had you know, the big podcast money to just like pay a designer a bunch of money. We probably would have just picked Ellen anyways, because these are that good. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, Ellen is a professional working artist. You can see her work at Voyage with Ellen on Instagram. Give a little plug there. And of course, you can, you, by the time this airs, you'll have been able to see all of this stuff on our social media, Facebook, as well as Instagram. We're going to be pushing this hard because we really just we we, need, we want to make season two that much bigger than season one here. Mm-hmm. We're going big. We're going big, y'all. Also, these are these are print to order items, correct? Yes, they're 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 limited edition. What what is ordered is what exists. Yeah. So and and they'll be they're, they're after October thirty first. They're gone. You can't get them anymore. Yeah, you're not going to be able to find these T-shirts at your local thrift store. We're not flooding the market with extras. This is super exclusive, limited edition, private press T-shirts. Exactly. 
just like you like your private press records. Mm-hmm. No, and, they don't. They're listening to our podcast. Oh, yeah, about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records. <laughs> they can like both, right? Are we going the wrong way by giving people exclusive things? No. How do we... We need like a million t-shirts. <laughs> that are all a dollar. <laughs> that are all a dollar. Well, that's all that I have to say about that. We'll be plugging that all throughout October on our social media and in the episodes, but I'm pretty excited about it. I just ordered one myself. I'm going to try it on a couple weeks here when it arrives. And uh, the, the shirts, that is, the shirts are, are sick. There's a butterfly LP design as well as a lava lamp one. And I'm pretty excited. I, I ordered the lava lamp one. That one really caught my eye. That one is cool. I was thinking about buying one as well, honestly. I don't know how I feel about wearing my own podcast shirt around. Like, that's a little weird, but they're just so know, cool. Yeah. I don't know what the etiquette is on that. Uh, I know that is, isn't it pretty uh, considered a faux pas to wear your own band t-shirt? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, not if it's double ironically worn. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you could doubly <laughs> ironically wear it, right? Well, anyway, I, th- I think we've, uh, we've let people know what we're doing to kick things off here, but I think we should get into what, they, what the people also really tune into here, and that what is... What they came for. That is music, cheap records. I'm going to give them what they came for. Yeah. They needed someone, they needed a strong leader to take the charge for season two, <laughs> and here I am. Riding in on my golden chariot, under my arm I have one beautiful record by Ramsey Lewis. It is the In Crowd. Now, is that by Ramsey Lewis or the Ramsey Lewis Trio? It's Ramsey Lewis Trio. Okay, yeah. who's pedantic now, Sean? The Ramsey Lewis Trio, not just Ramsey Lewis Trio. Sean, I'm gonna electrify you. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a good time. All right, let's talk about this record. No, let's not talk about it. Let's play a song so people know what we're talking about. They've listened to enough talking already. Your terms are acceptable. All right, this one's (laughs) called You Been Talking About Me, Baby. (laughs) From the in crowd.
First of all, Jeremy, I think it's fitting that the first album you bring for season two is a live album. I think you may have, unless I'm mistaken, you may have been the only one to bring live records to season one, and you definitely brought multiple. I think I'm on a run. I, I had the Richie Havens in between, but before that, that had a live did, song on it, though. I was just going to say, yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. And then I had like two or three live and like mostly live jazz records. So, yeah, I'm detecting a theme here, but you know what? It's it's not bad. And I'll, I'll just add the other thing I have is I want to get in on this in crowd because this sounds like a really fun performance. True. That's one of the things I really like about this live album in particular is it feels small. Like it feels like you're in a actual club and people are like, you know, hollering and moving around and clapping, but like not like crazy 30,000 festival people clapping. It's like people hanging out in a room. It feels kind of exclusive. Yeah. And this is like almost 10 years into this trio's career, right? So like they're seasoned professionals at this point too. This is 10 years in, and this is also like 20 albums in. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, this uh, these guys were putting in work. They were doing it professionally. Yeah, and this was recorded at a place in Washington, D.C., correct? True, the Bohemian Caverns. Yeah, uh, cool name. Which, interestingly, like a year earlier in one of their 20 albums they put out before this was just called Ramsey Lewis Trio at the Bohemian Caverns. <laughs> that one didn't catch on like this one did, though. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so this this one did uh, catch on. This was 65, right? Yeah, and, and it they, became a gold-selling record. Yeah. It's huge. Oh, yeah. Huge. This, this is one of those albums that just, like, People that collected jazz in this time period had this record, period. That's because it's a good record. Yeah. It's and a great also, record. And also a lot of people who didn't collect jazz, this was like their token jazz record that they could still get down on, you know? Yeah. And part of that is probably because of the song, The In Crowd, that was a big hit song around that time. Yeah. It had been, was it Dobie Gray? Yeah, I was gonna. I'm getting way out of whack with my my chronological order, but I don't even care. It's season two. We're getting artsy. <laughs> this album was recorded over like a three night run at Bohemian Caverns in D.C. And you know they have their sets planned out. And one thing that Ramsey Lewis trio that they kind of been doing on their albums is doing one fun song they called it which was usually like a pop or like well-known song that they would throw in there with their you know more serious kind of jazz songs and they were racking their brains at this coffee house in dc trying to figure out what song to do and the waitress there was like hey what are you guys doing they're like we're trying to figure out a song and she's like have you heard this song the in crowd and Ramsey Lewis had not his band was a little familiar with it so Ramsey puts it on the jukebox and is like yeah we're gonna do this one so they arranged the song and played it that night and it became probably Ramsey Lewis's biggest hit <laughs> yeah that's so wild 
I love those like random string of coincidence stories like that. Yeah, especially it seems like it happens more in the jazz world too. It's like you capture that lightning in a bottle effect or whatever of like the nature of jazz is constantly flowing that, I don't know, like it thrives on those moments. Yeah, especially this era of jazz because there was, it was more in the public eye and it was fresh and there was just so much innovation happening year to year. There's new subgenres coming out all the time. So there was, there wasn't really a good formula of like, okay, this is what works for jazz on the radio. People were just like constantly discovering new random styles of jazz that hit well on the radio. Yeah. And you can hear in this, there's like some blues influence later on. Some of the songs I'll, or one of the songs I'll play has like more classical influence. There's, I don't know, would you call it post bop? The sort of all over the place, uh, feel. Yeah. At times, I guess. Um, yeah. Ramsey has done that on a lot of his albums where there's just like a huge range of influences going on. He's, Never been afraid to just pack a bunch of unexpected shifts into the records. Yeah, and he went on to make 80-plus albums. So he went on to record tons and tons and tons of more music. And in an interview I was watching with him when he was like 70-something, he said he was just going to not play the in-crowd for a show or two because he figured people were just sick of hearing it. <laughs> and he didn't play it, and the crowd went crazy and, like, were screaming for it. <laughs> so he went back to playing in crowd, and he just has to play it till the day he dies, probably. Yeah, well, that's all right. It's a good song. Yeah. What was the first one we listened to? What was that one called? That was You Been Talking About Me, Baby. Yeah. In that one, we could hear some of the liveliness of, and I guess in that case, I don't know if it was the performers or the crowd because uh, both are both performers and crowd are having a really good time on this one, bo- vocally. The the more audible vocal stuff you're hearing is is definitely Red Holt and LD Young because they're infamous for doing that both on yeah, Ramsey the, Records and on Young Holt Unlimited stuff. The drummer and bassist, yeah, respectively. Yep, I really like that. Cool. Well, we've <laughs> talked about in crowd so much. <laughs> Should we probably I listen just, to that one? <laughs> I want to play in crowd now. Let's do that. And there's crazy audience participation in this one he talks about when they were recording it everybody was up and dancing when this when they started playing this song and the crowd just instantly fell in love and they were like whoa we're on to something here
Speaking of LD Young and Red Holt, the bassist and drummer, respectively, they're one of the best rhythm sections ever. I love those two guys in all of their work. They just they lock in so well. It's got that kind of laid back groove, but still just super funky and driving at the same time. So good. I really struggled to wrap my head around the fact that it's a trio on this album. It kept feeling a lot more full to me. And that might also be the energy of the performers and the crowd, but that's a lot of sound for three individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could hear the people hollering there and clapping, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a good time. At some points on this record, the audience seems to be laughing, and like there's comedic stuff going on with the performers, maybe stuff they were doing that you you can't see <laughs> um, in the audio. Could be. Yeah. Never know. I wish I'd been there. Yeah, I know, right? This seems like a good time. Good, clean fun. Yeah. I also detected a little, you guys hear like some Ray Charles in that piano? Oh, absolutely. I definitely want to talk about that at some point, but you can really hear the Ray Charles influence going on in this record and some other ones too. Yeah. And, you know, some of that comes from Ramsey's past. I'll, all right. This is probably where I jump back and do the biography, right? Is it artsy if I announce the out-of-order timeline I'm following? Is it still artsy? <laughs> it's only artsy if you don't think about it too much. Just go with the flow, man. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so he was born in Chicago, 1935, right down the street from Peter and I. Very far from you now, Sean. <laughs> he started piano at age four. His parents were from the south and... They were working on farms down there, moved to the big city. Ramsey started playing in a band called The Clefts that was a jazz group that he, and in an interview I was watching with him, he seemed to have, or at least think he have like no business playing with a band yet at that point. He had been playing with his church, his family's church, and learning piano and getting good at it but then he goes to play with these guys and they're just like shouting out a song he doesn't know it and he doesn't know how to just jump in and follow yet so the the band leader of the clefts instead of getting mad at him was like hey come over to my house i'm gonna teach you some things he went from there cool. became one of the all-time greats it's true i love it when you hear a good story of like non-gatekeeping kind of activity going on in the music business you know more people should just help each other out true you know who wasn't helping out the clefts though uncle sam mm, the man the man started drafting the various members of the clefts uh to go you know fight wars and kill people for stopping communism i guess yeah i'm sure they had good reasons yeah. They always do. <laughs> yeah. No sarcasm. So after, you know, these members were getting drafted out, the only ones left were Ramsey, Red Holt, and L.D. Young. So they just kind of became the Ramsey-Lewis trio, not like intentionally. They were just kind of what was left, but they were still playing music together and doing shows, and it just kind of became Ramsey-Lewis trio 
as they got signed to a little label uh, you guys may have heard of Chess Records. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's right in their area. Yep. Chai Town. I imagine mm-hmm. we're going to hear some familiar names over the course of this and maybe the next episode. Maybe the next episode? Why would that happen? Oh, I don't know. What are you What are you talking about? Should this be the time? Is this an avant-garde enough time to announce that we're doing back-to-back Ramsey Lewis episodes to kick off season two? Why not? At this point, why not? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a secret. It was, Gosh. but... We're here now, and it seems the appropriate time with 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 how this is going. And that's not to say this is going bad. I'm really, enjoy- <laughs> I'm really enjoying this episode. Yeah, <laughs> Peter's one episode into season two and ready to call it quits. <laughs> He's over it. <laughs> yeah. So in '56, they sign and they start putting out records, and they're putting out like two, three, four records a year through yeah. the next decade. A normal amount. Not a normal amount. That's an obscene amount. <laughs> and, you know, the really fucked up thing is there's like, there's no bad records during this whole run. Like, honestly, the Ramsey Lewis records don't start to get weak until like the 80s. It's it's bizarre, the level when of quality. Got weak. Yeah, totally. Like exactly when you would expect it to, to get weak. Although, you know, yesterday I was listening to some of his records that he put out over the last like 10, 15 years, and they're pretty good too. This guy is still slaying at 85 right now. It's amazing. He put out a record last year. And it's good. I listened to part of it. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. I listened to half of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was That's busy. That's an honor from Sean. Making playlists, <laughs> putting work Sean, in here and there. Sean's got 20,000 records. He's grading and moving. So <laughs> half a record is is pretty good. High praise. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool he's still with us, though. Hopefully he uh, finds out that this... Michigan, Pennsylvania podcast is doing a double feature on him. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do another avant garde pop out of the timeline here, and mention this crazy thing I found when doing research. At age 84, Ramsey Lewis was like, "I'm sick of traveling on planes and stuff because I'm 84 and playing concerts." So he decides he's going to retire. Not from music entirely, but from traveling and playing shows. And he decides he's going to start doing just live streamed concerts. And then coronavirus hits a couple months after he makes this decision. Whoa. He could see the future. Yeah, he was ahead of the curve there. And uh, you can go see him play shows right now. Yeah. He also is a radio host still, I believe. Yeah, he's an not he's an award-winning radio host. Yeah, totally. Ramsey hosts a radio show called Legends of Jazz out of Chicago. And he's won awards for it. And he even hosted a 13-part documentary of the same name for public television. Yeah, I was reading that. It seems like he's kind of stepped into this role of the uh you know, like the elder statesman that is continuing to shine a light for the jazz lessons of yesterday speaking of shine a light and being a figurehead 2002 he lights the cauldron in chai town for the winter olympics torch relay whoa i didn't know that that's cool i got facts left and right bud facts for days over here 
jumping all around the timeline. <laughs> also, I tried to get to the bottom of where the phrase the in crowd came from and did not find out, though I did find out there were two movies of that name. A really bad one from 2000 and one from 1988 that was just the movie Dirty Dancing with the genders reversed. <laughs> uh, it's safe to say that neither were very big influences on this record. Uh, well, they both came out way after. I know I'm jumping around here, but try and keep up, Sean. <laughs> I, I remember seeing the cover of the 2001 in video stores of the in crowd, but I never watched it. Yeah, that one had like 2% rating on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. <laughs> it looks shockingly bad. <laughs> Directed by Mary Lambert. Yes, so they release this album. They get huge. Like I said, it's a gold record. Ramsey was saying like chess records would call them. They'd be like, hey, we sold 1,000 this week. And they'd call them the next week and be like, hey, we just sold 10,000 this week. And he keeps thinking like he's at the top and they call him again. Like, oh, we sold 80,000 this week. And it just keeps going up and he doesn't. He can't even fathom that a jazz record he made is selling as many copies as it was, which is why you'll find it in dollar bins. True, true. Do you know what album Ramsey credits as kind of opening the door for himself and other jazz artists in Chicago, and especially on the chess label? No, I didn't. Uh, I'm guessing no. it's something we've talked about. It's not, but it's a record that I think people have suggested we talk about. Ahmed Jamal's Live at the Pershing came out on the Argo label, which is another subsidiary. Uh, actually, well, it's the same label that uh, put out this record, actually. Yeah. But yeah, that was a big surprise hit for the chess records complex at the time. No one saw that one coming. And it, that was a similar thing to this where just everybody had that record. This is a really, really good live record that came out of nowhere and toppled the charts. And Ramsey said in an interview that after that happened, Chess started signing a lot more jazz artists that had a similar kind of soul jazz pop crossover appeal. And that's why he got onto the label and was able to have a career and eventually a massive hit with this album. Far out. I didn't even know Ahmed Jamal albums were in dollar bins. I thought they were all expensive. So... You know, live at the Pershing, if you're going to buy it online and buy a nice copy, you're going to probably spend like 10 to 15 bucks. But it is an album that's everywhere, commonly beat up when you find it. But, you know, keep looking, you'll get lucky. There's They made a lot of them. And that one came out in 1958, so it's a little bit before this. Here's a question I'd like to ask. Maybe one of you has the answer. Obviously, when we did the West Montgomery uh, Day in the Life album... Uh, you know, the Iceman's band, they, they did come together. When did it become common practice for jazz groups to do more contemporary music that was outside of the jazz genre, do, do versions, jazz versions of songs that weren't traditionally jazz? Was, was this kind of, were they at the forefront of that here, or had people been doing that prior to this too? Um, I think people had been doing that prior to this but it really feels like that took off after this record more mm -hmm. which makes sense i mean the album is named after a cover it's the biggest hit of his career 
And you start seeing a lot more soul jazz artists doing covers of pop songs after this. Mm-hmm. Which has kind of always been one of my favorite elements of soul jazz. I really love hearing all the different interesting interpretations of non-jazz songs. Yeah, so Johnny Hammond did that as well. Yep. Yeah, and Ramsey followed up this album with, there is a version of Hang On Sloopy, which we mentioned recently, mm-hmm. that was also one of his big hits. Yep. Yep. Yeah, of course went on to do a, an album. Was it all Beatles covers? Or was it mostly Beatles covers? The Is it Mother Nature's Son? Yeah, it's, I think it's all. Let me just double check that real quick. It's not any like good reason to double check this, but I'm just going to do it anyways. Um, yeah, it's 100% Beatles from 1968, which that is maybe the hardest record to find of Ramsey Lewis. One of the harder ones that's, that's gone up to be about a $20 record at this point, but man, is it good? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think we'd be able to feature that one, but worth mentioning it. And you know, all Ramsey records can be easy to find even the, the kind of valuable ones, because there's still plenty of stores and dealers that have just completely written him off as this dollar bin, kind of white bread jazz guy you know that's that's how i was always introduced to ramsey lewis before i actually started listening to the music and then when you dig in it's like wait this this music's incredible why would anybody write this off but you know bonus for the uh, crate diggers out there you're gonna find these cheap if you keep looking yeah and one of the things that makes ramsey great is as you mentioned previously the conglomeration of styles his background I mean, he was classically trained to an extent and went to a music conservatory growing up. So there's some classical influence you'll hear in there, especially in the next song I'm going to play, Spartacus. Theme from Spartacus. It's my favorite on this one, and it's kind of a mood changer. It's a tone shift, I should say, for most of the tracks. Yeah, it's that sit down, catch your breath, grab a drink before they're about to go crazy again. But... There's also, uh, as mentioned, some gospel influence from playing with the church where Ramsey says he learned to make the piano sing. That was one of the turning points in his mind, I guess, was when one of his piano instructors was like, play it like it's trying to sing. So you'll hear that in kind of his phrasing and how he plays where it's not just like blocks of chords he like really carries the melody out there. Yeah, that's one of my favorite approaches to soloing, especially in a, you know, improvised pop format like this. When the the solo serves the song more than it just kind of shows off when you get rid of the ego behind it. It just makes it so much better. Yeah. So, I'm going to play Love Theme from Spartacus. Side 1. Wait, no. Side 2. Track one. See, I tried to be like Peter and I messed it up. First try.
that was some contemplative and masterful piano playing there. Love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- when it takes off, really just kind of uh, shatters things. You'll have to, our listeners will have to uh, check out for themselves where that one goes. Yeah, that one, we just got started into that one. That one, yeah, really blows up. We've talked a couple times in this episode about, you know, how Ramsey's so good at, at including different kinds of styles and content on his albums. But I also just want to say that even though his shifts can often be unexpected, they never feel out of place, which I think is a is a pretty big distinction. Some artists will just try things just to try it, whereas, you know, when he makes those left turns, it just it still works as an album. It all flows well and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, he knows how to shift around, shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. I don't even know because I am only covering through Ramsey Lewis Trio and I know nothing. As far as I know, <laughs> the band breaks up and that's it. Oh, I, I let the cat out of the bag. The band breaks up a couple albums after this album. Mm-hmm. 1966, no. right? The trio is done? Yeah, about one year after this album comes out. Mm-hmm. And Ramsey was talking about it in the same interview that I've referenced a few times. And it's, I don't know enough about him to know how seriously to take it, but he seemed to attribute it to jealousy as a big part of it, that they split the money evenly, which is already, you know, a lot better than, how a lot of rhythm sections are being treated in the jazz world at that time. Yeah, definitely. But his his name is like the name people know it by, and he attributes, you know, the band being jealous of the fame, I guess, that he's getting. That makes sense. I could see that. I always kind of wondered what the reason was for the split, because the rhythm section just starts their own group that sounds remarkably similar to the Ramsey Lewis trio, even though it's still amazing. But it's like, why why'd they split? <laughs> neither one of them was trying to make super different records, at least over the next couple of years after this. But They became the non-Ramsey Lewis duo. Yeah. After but, this. Know, they became they, Young Holt Unlimited. Yeah. Well, and like we said, these guys have been working together extensively for like 10 years. Constant touring, nightclub dates, constantly pumping out records it's really not surprising that they might have just gotten a little sick of seeing each other after a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's good that we don't see each other anymore in this podcast. <laughs> I'd never get sick of you boys, never in a million years. Aw, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> We're going to do this podcast for a million years. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm game. They break up, and it's the end of Ramsey Lewis as the Ramsey Lewis Trio. And that's as far as I'm going. You know, as far as I know, that's the end of Ramsey Lewis. Okay. Not another note was made, right? Well, would you, Am be- I wrong? would you believe it if I told you that a lot more notes were made? Oh, my. Would you believe it if I told you that we literally talked about his other records after this earlier on this episode? <laughs> <laughs> but how could I learn more about this? Well, tune in next week right here at I'd Buy That for a Dollar, available wherever fine podcasts are purveyed, uh, and we'll talk about it. I was leaning into the cheese there. Yeah. 
We're jumping ahead to 1973 with Funky Serenity. Yeah. Correct. I'm excited about that one. I have been wanting to do a Ramsey Lewis episode since pretty much this podcast started. In my mind, Ramsey Lewis could be like the king of bargain bin records because the amount of incredible quality stuff that you can find on the cheap from this guy is pretty much unparalleled in the music industry. And I've been thinking for a long time, like, man, if I do one Ramsey Lewis record, which one is it going to be? Because he's got so many different interesting periods and lineups. And I decided that if I was going to do only one, it was going to be Funky Serenity. And then we decided to do two episodes. So now that we've recorded the beginning of the next episode, should we wrap this one up? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm excited for that one, too. It's going to be a real... uh, drastic turn from this one sure do we want to talk about the uh extra special new season two feature where we have yeah, yeah we got all kinds of new stuff for season there's, two. More. there's yeah. more so something we slash i have decided to do is we are going to be making special playlists on spotify every week for these episodes they will feature a couple tracks by the artists that we featured as well as contemporaries influences similar things i'm making an effort to keep most of it within the i'd buy that for a dollar price format a few things will drift a little bit outside of it but gonna try real hard not to include any like three figure super rare records that you're never gonna actually find in real life but uh we will be posting a link to that on our various social media sites. So keep an eye out for that. I'm excited about and it. You also you also wanted to mention, though, that we in no way support Spotify and or especially their CEO. Yeah. I just want to say that it's really fucked up that the richest musician in the world, Paul McCartney, is worth less than half of the amount of money as the fucking like 32-year-old CEO of Spotify. That's so dumb. But anyways, it's the biggest site, and that's what we have to use because there's no ethical consumption under late-stage capitalism. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. Uncle Sam wants you dead. (laughs) Well, anyways, uh, check out the Spotify playlist to hear one song from the in-crowd that we didn't play, as well as a Young Holt Unlimited track. And then here's some tracks by similar artists, such as Ray Bryant, Mongo Santa Maria, the Cannonball Adderley Group. Jack McDuff, Hugh Masekela, The Three Sounds, and Ray Charles. We mentioned the uh, Ray Charles connection. I've included a Ray Charles Live at Newport track where he's playing just straight jazz. And then there's a Ramsey Lewis Trio record from the 1963 album Barefoot Sunday Blues called Salute to Ray Charles. And I also have some Ray Charles covers by the groups The Three Sounds, Herbie Mann, and yeah. It's going to be good. We're going to have a new one every wow. week. Wow. Hope you like it. Well, that's that's a lot for people to chew on, I think. Let's, yeah. let's leave them there. All right, cool. Until next week, friends, my name is Jeremy. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Peter Cook. Remember to check our social media on Facebook and Instagram, I Buy That Podcast, for information on our fundraiser and Patreon exclusive What are we going out on, Jeremy? We are going to leave the people with maybe my favorite one. I really like this one. It's called Come Sunday.